0: Ben, how are you? I'm good? Uh, no, I'm not good. I'm very stressed out because in uh, less than 24 hours I'll be on a plane with two children and that's and I have a it... and I have a fantasy football draft tonight that I'm, I'm prepared for.
1: Oh man I, I know Ben, I know how I, I could make a suggestion right now that will make everything feel better. You should have a beer <laughs> that That was very
0: unfair of you. Now I have this, now I have this <laughs> reputation as a total
1: lush. Um, you, you, I, I, I feel like if there's a reputation there, uh, you kind of dug yourself that hole last week. I don't know. I enjoyed the conversation, but we got lots of funny feedback about it.
0: Yeah, well, we got funny feedback and we got uh, uh, very strident feedback, as predicted. When I when we were talking about m- me using Android, uh, I did not expect to use that in the show. Uh, mm. Obviously, we did. I thought the equilibrium point was quite interesting. But had I had, I would have taken more care to. Um, I, I probably would have been quite as strident, perhaps, and uh, and wouldn't have been. Uh, would have framed what I was saying more carefully. Basically, what basically what I would say is this. And I know this is going to fall on deaf ears, but whatever. I'll try. I'll try again. Like, so for for example, like one thing that bugs me about Android is you get all these notifications in the top on the top, right? And I supposed a screenshot saying, like, my phone's stressing me out. And of course, I got a bunch of replies saying, oh, just do this, do this, go into this app, change this setting. That's the point. I don't want to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, for me, it is like I have enough crap going on in my life. I have, <laughs> I have a ton of stuff I have to pack up. I have two kids I have to get on an airplane. The last thing I want to worry about is going to a setting and turn off notifications. Right. And yeah, it's a small thing, but there, to me, like, everything about it is all these small things all the time. Yes, I could make it better, but I don't I don't want to. I don't want I don't want to bother. And and I the thing is that's cool. It's cool if you want to do that. When I like I I've had times where I've wanted to do that as well. And the thing is if you can configure everything, then almost by definition you can make it like better for you because you can perfectly tune everything to what you want to do, right? And Apple's never going to let you do that w- with iOS. But I'm just the sort of person where I mean, if you look at my, de- I'm one of those people where well, my computer desktop has like crap all over it, right? Because I can't, I just filing stuff. Like I'm just not a filer. I'm not an organizer. I'm just a, you know, muddle througher. And so mm-hmm. for me, I I get great value out of Apple having made lots of design decisions on my behalf. Me not yeah. having to worry about it. And. And for me, that's important. I think and I think there is a market that is similar to me, and this isn't a better market per se. And people who also care about quality are the people who are buying the high-end Samsung phones, who are buying the high-end HTC phones, who are buying these also equally expensive phones because there are people that value those things, and that's totally fine. Like, it's cool to value it, but don't sit here and say that I'm some sort of Idiot, or I, or whatever, because I don't value that. It's just a different, it's a difference of values, not a difference of like moral goodness or something.
1: (laughs) I, so the notifications thing is interesting because that's still one thing that. I, I mean, Apple does it well, but it's still one thing that I feel they haven't completely cracked. Like, I've been in that little notifications preference setting and being felt myself having to move things around and turn things on and turn things off. And I oh. it—I still find it frustrating. <laughs> See, I
0: don't, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It sucks, but I don't even bother like moving stuff around. No, I'm, I'm talking about for, for Android, the top bar, no, the top bar where it says mm. the time, it yeah. fills up with icons. Because uh, an app can put its icon up there, which is like, so it's to tell you it has a notification. Then you can pull it down. And yeah, the, the Android drawer, like the notification drawer is much better implemented. Um, obviously, Apple is mimicking it in a lot of ways. And that's fine. I've never, I've never, for the record, people who read me regularly know, I've never been someone to criticize anyone for copying on either side. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's, but just for me, like, I, I don't want. I don't want all that stuff popping up. And so yeah, yeah the Apple I one kind of sucks, but it's at least it's not like
1: <laughs>
0: like literally is, stressing. No, no, me no.
1: At. This totally. I hear you. This reminds me of a this reminds me of the old argument that Mac users and PC Windows users used to have, you know, like It's it's always the case that when I'd have this discussion in the past, people would love, there are some people out there who love being able to customize every nth degree of their hardware, pick their graphics card, like be able to customize and load various things onto windows. And if you're one of those kinds of people, then it's fantastic. But there are lots of people out there where the job to be done is, I just want this thing to work. I want it. I want it to. I want it to do what I need it to do, and then I want it to get out of the way, and I don't want to have to be my own systems integrator. And if you do feel like if you're a techie and you feel like that, and I, I also recognize that we probably overrepresent in terms of the audience that we talk to, and, and I mean, even who we are as people, like we probably have streaks of that in us. But if you feel like if you love tinkering and you love taking like a week to get it set up properly and have this ongoing process where You know everything is configured just the way you like it, and you have the time to do it. It's fantastic. You'll get it exactly, um, exactly how you want it. I'm like you now. I just don't have time to do it. I want the thing to just be good at what I need it to do, and then get the hell out of the way. And I agree with you. iOS is just better at that.
0: Well, this is why. This is the other reason too why Apple is so much more profitable and why their user base is more profitable. Because people like me, I pay for convenience all the time. Mm. Right. Like I, I'm I'm shipping something to someone and I'm paying for FedEx because they'll come to my door and pick it up because I don't want to go to the post office and, and take care of it. Right. Like that's just one small example. But there's I mean, there's tons of stuff in my life that I pay regularly to take care of a problem. Like for like I'm at the point where, you know, time it's not that I'm rich per se, but I have a very good like one, well, one, I am lazy. But two, like <laughs> I know how much my time is worth. And it and it is regularly worth it for me to grease the skids in some way so I can focus on doing something else. Right. And uh and and so that's I think the same sort of feeling and approach, which is why I I so much prefer iOS to to Android and by extension, that also means I'm someone who's more likely to spend. I'm more likely to buy apps. I'm more likely to do all sorts of stuff. And I think a lot of that is is interrelated. again, I this is not to say that Android users aren't willing yeah. to pay for apps. They're not willing to buy nice things. And a lot I'm just saying like the the I prioritize convenience. and right. that means also means I happen to be someone that's quite easy to get money out of.
1: <laughs> so yeah, I mean, one, like fundamentally, yes, I, I guess what? I remember like someone basically called you a bigot for saying stuff <laughs> to this effect on Twitter, which I was like, okay, that's I mean, I, I feel like you're a pretty open-minded and critical thinker. And I was I was taken a little bit aback by that. I, I mean, one is not better than the other, they're different. And I think it's fantastic out that that, that like those two options it's the options of ecosystems exist because you fall. People tend to naturally gravitate towards one category or the other, and they have a choice as to what's better for them. And given the convenience is something we prioritize, iOS is better for us. I mean, well, the other thing, right? and the, well, the other thing too is, um, no, I think you're spot on
0: to say that they're, yeah, they're they're just different. And and I mean, uh, the other thing we talked about last week, the f- like, why does an Android go the up extra five percent? And, and I actually think. And part of the reason why WordPress people were upset at us is we were a little over the top in talking about it. Again, we didn't already record it or whatever. Um, of course, people said they preferred that, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is like – but by virtue of – Android is seeking to serve 100% of the market. And by virtue of that, they – they have to have all these options. They have to have all these possibilities, right? Because they need to serve the greatest number of possible use cases. Whereas Apple is explicitly foregoing a certain part of the market. So that gives them more freedom to to make certain decisions, to Mm -hmm. prioritize different things. And again, it's, it's it's that neither is right or wrong. It's a function of Android is... Android is working in service of Google, which is a services company. A services company wants to reach as many people as possible, right? It, it the economics are better the more people you have. So they, the whole thing is built to service as many people as possible. Apple is a product company. They sell things for a profit, so they are optimized on extracting, like finding the right balance between profit per device and reaching in reaching people. But they they can afford to exclude people. And, yeah, and this is so again. It's not a moral judgment. It's a business model thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, I think I would I would put like I would encourage you to be careful on your language on one thing. Google would love to have hundred percent of the market, but by virtue of of the fact that they're trying to reach a broad audience they never can get there yes. because there is a percentage of the market that requires you to trade off the what the uh, the other portion of the market wants and that's what that's what apple is doing well and that's the argument i think we made last week around like there's this equilibrium point where it makes really i mean google would love to get up to 100% but it's just not capable of doing it because to start to force the choices to start to make the strategic choices around the design of the product would then start excluding even more people than what they'd be gaining by going up. market.
0: totally. No, it's a great. It's a great way to. It's a great way to tie it together, and that's why I think the equilibrium is exactly right. It's not. And so, in, I think where I, where I was wrong last week is to cast it as some like Google not wanting to do it. It's like it's actually again. It ties into being a very rational. Rational sort of choice, and by the way, for the record, like I bought beer in college by building Windows computers for people. So like I, I can I can geek out with the best with of the them best of them for sure. Nice, so, that's awesome.
1: Um, I love that. That was so that's really interesting. Um, I feel like it's a good way of tying it all up. But you know what I really want to talk to you about this week? It's the future of media. There's been some interesting movements in this space. Most of, uh, I mean, none more so than Anderson Horowitz. Putting fifty million dollars into BuzzFeed, I I think there's some really interesting stuff beginning to happen here, and you wrote about it. Um, go for it. What did I? I'm really curious as to your take. I mean, it's it, it's a little weird actually because uh,
0: you know media companies are usually not. I mean, Andreessen Horowitz in particular has been very clear that they only they only invest in tech companies, Hmm. and they've you know they've and. You'll go back and read, I'll link it in the show notes, but like what, what Mark Andreessen wrote when they started Andreessen Horowitz, like they weighed out exactly the type of companies they're going to invest in. And BuzzFeed does not fit that definition. Mm. In fact, they even call out like – he just has this par- throwaway paragraph listing, all kinds of stuff they would never invest in. And one of those like movie production studio, and you read that, ha, 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 why, why <laughs> they put that in there? Turns out BuzzFeed's going to use this money to open up a movie production studio. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, oh, I love stuff like that. That's I know. It, it,
0: oh, it's. It, it is great. Um, so, yeah, so I, at first blush, is, is, it was kind of weird. I mean, when I first heard about it, I was quite positive just because I think what BuzzFeed's doing is really interesting. Um, but on second thought, I was like, well, but why Andreessen Horowitz specifically? Uh, and uh, and so I th- thinking about it a little bit more, um, I actually think it ties back into a, something we talked about last week, Just just kind of in passing. Yeah. And that was, you know – the problem with a lot of the media is doomed narrative is they're trying to compete in this kind of new economic regime with with an old model. But if you can start new, if you can start mm-hmm. fresh, and use internet economics to your advantage, then act. Then like it's it's a huge opportunity. So I use my side example where every every new subscriber is incremental revenue. Um, and it's the same sort of thing with, with any sort of media company that, that, that thinks about it correctly, is that they, you can get people for free, one. Two, you can reach anywhere. And that means you're dealing with a market, of basically an inf- a market of infinite size with, like inf- with free distribution.
1: And, and that's a pretty exciting market to be in. Right. So it's incremental revenue at effectively no incremental cost. Basically yeah
0: I mean that, that's I mean that's the whole thing about uh that's the whole thing about like software in general like software and media if you think about it are actually quite similar right they you to make one more unit of software costs nothing to make one more copy of an article to make one more copy of a video costs nothing mm. um and now obviously the way it actually plays out it's not zero right like yeah. otherwise everyone would be rolling in cash because there's they're the most expensive And so this actually is the number two thing about Buzzfeed. I didn't write about this, but this is actually what makes Buzzfeed interesting. The reason why a company like Andreessen or a venture firm like Andreessen Horowitz is so huge, right? What they're like a billion dollar, you know, a a couple billion dollar funds at this point, is because it's it's way easier to start a company now, but it's much more easy to much more difficult to grow a company because now most of the costs a startup incurs are for marketing and for sales it's for like acquiring people because there's so much competition now and so that the reality is is the marginal cost actually net ends up not being that great because you're spending a lot to get every additional customer so you see companies like box for example having huge burn rates because they're 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 spending and spending to get those customers that will pay off over time mm. um what's makes buzzfeed particularly interesting in this case is they've they've kind of cracked that right they they get readers they get people on their site uh for free B- basically you know they don't advertise this stuff they they just they've figured out how to kind of make stuff that that attracts
1: yeah so i i I, I want to dive on that but I want to go back to I want to go back to one other thing that you said and it also ties back into because this conversation does dovetail very nicely uh, on what we talked about last week and one element of that is definitely the clean slate idea the other thing that that I thought is that that my mind immediately went to when, when I saw the the article that Andreessen and Horowitz like the Horowitz the Andreessen and Horowitz post on like these are the things we won't invest in. It was that it was the article that we linked to last week about making sure you don't pattern match too closely without um, understanding when when fundamental assumptions has have changed. And I think what what um, what's happened is that you know dismissive of of media companies in In the sense that, like, well, VCs were dismissive of media companies in the old sense where it was like a very non scalable model. But I think what's fundamentally changed is that media is now actually, they're not really media companies anymore. They're now technology companies well and that, that's 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 what Chris Dixon, who was leading the investment for and Horowitz said on his blog. but I think but
0: I mean I hesitate to and that was the title of my post was is BuzzFeed a technology company? And I think it's a tricky question because from a product perspective, I don't think so like I get that they yes, they have a nice platform and they have a beautiful CMS and blah 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 blah. but at the end of the day like that's not that's not that interesting. Um, and I don't think they have an algorithm that they can just magically produce content. Like they like they 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 have people there that know what they're doing. So there, I think there very much is still a very human element to it. But what I think it makes it more of a technology company is uh, it has technology economics. If that
1: makes sense, yeah. It, so, it, go ahead. No, here's what I want to dive in on, and it's the point you made about getting eyeballs and acquisition. What do you think, like, describe to me uh, it, the product, like, in ter- like, what do you think BuzzFeed's product is? Like, what, I'd like to hear your articulation of that. I mean, it's so, BuzzFeed
0: is actually so interesting. There's really no other company quite quite like them. I think Vice is probably the, yeah, the closest competitor. And this actually raises, this is a point I didn't get into, so I'm glad we're discussing it. So basically, BuzzFeed doesn't have any advertising, which, which, which. Kind of, if you go there, there's no banner ads. Like there's nothing like that. So even though they drive all this traffic, like they're not really benefiting from it, which is interesting because they've actually stated. Uh, Jonah Peretti has stated he likes that. He likes the incentives. Mm. Like it has to. The incentive for their customers is to make people happy. They visited. Like they,
1: they don't. They get nothing if someone clicks on them. So, so let me let me stop you. Who are their customers? Tell me who you think their customers are.
0: Well, I mean, if you follow the money, it, the customers are the are the advertisers. So the, the way advertising works on Buzzfeed is, someone like Verizon uh, goes to Buzzfeed and commissions them to create uh, a Buzzfeed type article around like a theme that Verizon is pushing. So maybe it's like mm-hmm. Connect Everywhere, right? So they'll have some sort of kishy thing around connecting, and you go there, and it's sponsored by Verizon, and it's Verizon at the top, and at the bottom there's a thing about Verizon, but in the middle it's just a it's a Buzzfeed type article. And, uh, and so basically, this is, what, this is what's interesting actually. and This is actually a counter to the optimism around this is BuzzFeed is actually almost an advertising agency. Like they're a service for companies to build more effective advertising. And probably the concern then if I'm you know, criticizing this deal is that that doesn't scale very well at all.
1: So here's so here's my this is gonna I feel like this is gonna be a fascinating conversation, but I want to preface it by asking you: Are you bullish or bearish about this company's future? About Buzzfeed? Yes.
0: I don't know. That's a good question. I I guess I'm relatively bullish. I haven't. I mean, I think. I mean, it's one of those things where they're they're really interesting, and I'm definitely not willing to bet against them. Um, I don't know that I. I'm not sure I would invest fifty million in them. Um, but I'm not going to jump out and immediately say it's a stupid idea. So that's a yeah. very unsatisfactory answer.
1: But no, but I feel like I'm potentially on the other side of this, and the reason why is something you alluded to earlier. The only company that's really a direct competitor to them, at least in my mind, is Vice. And if you think about it, so I agree with what you said of, around how uh, how. Jonah loves the way he's thinking about the incentives from user perspectives. But I think about this in terms of like whether these businesses are going to succeed or fail in terms of um, how effective they are for advertisers. Now, if I was a brand and I wanted to establish some... So we talked about how uh, companies like P&G are trying to go for an emotional connection in people's minds between the brand and the product to stand out and differentiate so uh, you know, you you come to this problem in your life, whatever it is, and you need to buy a product. And there's this subliminal thing in terms of like it's going to help me, it's going to make me want to buy something, and I might not even really understand the reasons why. I think about that in terms of Vice versus Buzzfeed. Now, if I'm a brand manager and I go to Vice, like they are dealing with, like in terms of like the emotional connection to the types of content they create, and then the types of The types of integrated advertising campaigns they create. Like, I think those things are like super cool. Like, it has the same emotional feeling that you kind of get when you open up like one of those old school high end magazines and you like see this brand and you like get this connection to it. But Vice have done a really, really phenomenal job of like figuring out how to do that in the new age. What I don't get about BuzzFeed, and I'm assuming. I'm assuming advertisers aren't being irrational in chasing it, but I still can't figure it out. Is like, well, Verizon or Pepsi or whoever goes and like they there was like they do some listicle. Like there was one with Pepsi where it's like a 24-hour clock that links to a different list every second of the day. Like, what impact does that have? I mean, yes, it gets my eyeballs on the brand and I get to see Pepsi or something. But what emotional impact does that have on my willingness or likelihood to purchase something? And given the types of content they're creating, or at least they have created in the past, like as an advertiser, I get, like I feel... The reasons why I would want to go to Vice because the like the it's the engagement of the eyeballs and what they're thinking at the time and how it makes me feel. I go to Buzzfeed like I don't know how I draw a direct connection between the type of list and the type of like it's much harder for me to see the link between the content and the emotional connection I want to build with my brand. Does that make sense? It does. Um, I think
0: I I, I think the difference I would say is this, um, first off, no one goes to Buzzfeed and I think that's actually super, super important. And I think gets to the difference between vice, vice and Buzzfeed. And that is, hmm. um, what, let, what's, let's, let's take your argument as granted. I mean, I actually, I actually feel like I can recall Buzzfeed uh, articles that actually have resonated with me quite deeply. Hmm. Um, and so I, I would disagree with you that they can't produce emotional connections. But let's leave that aside. Let's grant you, let's grant you that vice produces deeper and better emotional. You know, o- opens you up more. So you're more you. That's a little message gets in that much deeper, right? Um, and thus, say vice can charge more on a mm. on a per user basis. What the thing makes Buzzfeed so interesting is Buzzfeed is pretty unparalleled in the reach they can achieve and so i would i would bet we have no access to numbers i'm just guessing but i would bet that the average buzzfeed article or the average buzzfeed sponsored post reaches way more people than the average Vice one does. Oh, no doubt about that. And so I, and so it's, it's a calculation, right? It's number of users times price per user. And I think just Vice and BuzzFeed are focusing on different sides of that equation.
1: Yeah, that's true. But here's the thing, right? This is the reason why I think all these old world media companies are dying from an advertising perspective because you know the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal rocks up and says, oh, we can get access to all these people. We'll get your message in front of all these People. Whereas Google rocks up and says, well, someone's just typed in a search and they're looking for your kind of product. And you know, at that point, like we can deeply target down to the individual. Like there's a degree of engagement. And I feel like the world is moving away from this. Shotgun, like we'll get we'll get you fifty million views, but like nobody cares when they land there and they see the brand versus like a much deeper emotional engagement. Like we we will have you we will present. It's it's just this tension between those two things. And what's interesting to me is BuzzFeed is a technology company, but it feels like the model it presents to advertisers is much more old world advertising than it is the new model, which is like much more. A much deeper emotional targeting.
0: Well, maybe. I mean, I think um, first off, I would exclude Google because Google is really ca- like call to action advertising, right? Mm. You you click it and you do this. Whereas, right, Buzzfeed's playing much more in the brand advertising space. So, I think um, a closer analogy is Facebook uh, than than it is Google um, or okay. or to your point, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal. Right. So, so here's the thing, though. Like um, uh, old school advertising was still was still a pretty good business. In some cases still is a pretty good business, especially when you get into kind of the magazine space. And the reason is because magazines like why are there so many magazines? Because they're super like that's an effective way to reach a specific niche. And it, it's a niche you can reach. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, magazine companies know a lot about you. Um, like uh, Meredith, for example, does Better Homes and Gardens, and like a, a lot of those types of magazines. Like they call themselves a marketing company. You know, the, the magazines are lead generation basically, um, and they're very explicit about it. Uh, but and so they they can reach a specific audience for a specific type of product based on the type of content that they do. And I think BuzzFeed can very much do the same thing. I mean they like there's no question there are certain type of BuzzFeed articles that I'm much more likely to click on. And and those in in some respects those get a better idea of what I'm actually interested in as opposed to who I am, which is which can also be somewhat hit or miss.
1: Yeah, but they're not but hang on, they're not tailoring ads based on what you click on, are they? Like well no, Sorry. but but there's
0: certain but there's certain things I'm more likely to click on based on what I'm interested in. Like if they want to reach someone who's interested in, say, um, Nintendo's been on my mind lately. Say they want say Nintendo you know, suddenly entered the 21st century, and along with that, they did like modern advertising and they wanted to advertise on BuzzFeed, right? Like, they can create an article around like retro video games or like the top 10 taunts in NHL 95. And like, I'm going to click on that, right? And they have like their ideal customer, like, and much more effectively than they could in almost any other channel.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's, I, I kind of, I kind of, I, I'm hearing you but I still feel like they're not creating content like again like I, I poked around a little bit to try and look at some of the examples of some of the content and and like the this the the example you gave just then is like a, a would be a great example of how you could target the 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 content to like you could match the content with the advertising but then I kind of poked around a little bit and it, it just didn't seem to me like like in, in I like the idea of what you just said seems um, very sensible. But like, again, I looked at this Pepsi thing and it was like Pepsi, like a a listicle or a a list for every second of every day. Like, I don't get how that, like, yeah, sure. It generates a huge amount of page views. I don't get how that helps like Pepsi any more than sticking an ad in in the front page of the New York Times about this new Pepsi thing like I, I, like I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to. Yes, I understand. There's a technical. Yes, yes. We well,
0: get you, well, yeah, you're struggling. I'm going to relieve you of your struggling.
1: Okay, <laughs> but, 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 like, there's a reason why that. You're, you're, like, you're, there's, you're, there's, there's a reason the, why is, advertising from like that model of advertising is going away and it's switching elsewhere. Right. This is the classic criticism. You're making the classic criticism of any like if it, if it, if
0: Buzzfeed was crushing right now if they were doing exactly the sort of advertising that I just described you wouldn't be able to invest in them at fifty million dollars. For an $800 million valuation. it would be worth much more than that.
1: But like, so the question is, if if that's like, why aren't they doing that then? Like, I feel like there's this tension. Like, they're selling on a model of getting lots of shares, but like lots of shares is like the old world shotgun approach to advertising. And I'm not convinced that it's as effective.
0: So they they have established that they can reach a massive audience kind of on command. Pretty impressive.
1: Two. Yeah, so they, is the to, New York to, Times.
0: Two, they have a cost structure that makes sense. Uh, not the New York Times. Yeah, uh, three to to build out this capability to be able to work with companies and to to do this effectively takes resources. It takes it takes people, and that's a good reason to get investment. Like again, you any venture investment has inherently has a ton of risk in it. So, so what it. I'm saying is, it, there's I, I think the fact that you can see. That this is a possibility is actually an affirmation for this investment. Whereas, uh, you know, it might, maybe they won't figure it out. Maybe they will fail. Maybe you're right. That's fine. And I'm sure Andrews and Horace has all kinds of protections on their investment, where they're gonna, you know, at worst, not lose anything. Um, but, but you can definitely see a way in which this actually turns out being, you know, qu- you know, quite effective. And and again, like I, I'm not. I don't know enough about BuzzFeed specifically to think if it's possible. I do know that they've been getting doubts like yours for, you know, going on seven, eight years now, and they've pretty consistently overcome them. So, I, I mean, I, I'm I'm probably biased towards thinking they'll, you know, that they'll do well. They'll figure it out.
1: Yeah, I, I mean – I, I, from a user point of view, I, I mean, from a, and a disruption point of view, the idea that they're generating content that the incumbents are all dismissive of, but it's like generating lots of eyeballs. I think it's awesome, and I do think they're going to move up market. Like the Huff, the Huffington Post is one of Pulitzer. I, I don't I like as a user. I don't. I have little doubt that those guys are going to move up market. I just think that the way Vice <coughs> is integrated around the job of, of, of. Um, like I, I just the the way vice has approached it in terms of its appeal to advertisers to me seems to be a much more sensible approach from from a revenue point of view than the way that BuzzFeed's doing it. Now that's not to say I want them to fail. It's just like I this is a question, yes, that I have been struggling with. Funny you mentioned that it's funny you mentioned the going up market because
0: I, I, I suspect the way you stated that, you're actually thinking about it all wrong. Um, the whole going up market thing is all a branding thing. Like they're not, good, no one makes money by going up market in the media. Like, I mean, even the New York Times mm. is making all their money from the style section, the real estate section. Like, believe me, that's where all of the money comes from. They lose tons of money on their news, and that's the case for pretty much every media organization. So when you see BuzzFeed, when you see BuzzFeed adding on investing in hard news, the whole point of that is to make companies like Pepsi and Verizon feel better about their brands being on the BuzzFeed page. So this whole going up market thing, yeah, possibly from a user perspective, but from an economic perspective – That's all about branding. It's not. It's not about a disruption sort of approach or anything like that.
1: Well, maybe, but like if it so so then the question I'd throw back to you is if it didn't make if it didn't fundamentally make the money, then why would someone who seems to be as economically rational? No,
0: no, no, because you can charge more. You can charge more. for for so so it does. Yes, it does make them money. It doesn't make money directly. Um, Fair enough.
1: Yeah, I mean, which which. I don't know, again, kind of strikes me... All right, let, let me ask it of you in a different way. I understand from a cost perspective that they're different from the New York Times, but from a revenue perspective, do you think they're different from the New York Times or like some other broad, not the New York Times, it's probably better to compare them to something like one of the tabloids in the UK, the Daily Mail, right? Like from a revenue perspective, does the the offering they have for advertisers, is it better than something like the Daily Mail or because so, that's what it, it it feels on the on the spectrum of like very, it, it feels much more shotgun. Like I'm as a, as someone who's thinking about advertising, the value to me of you saying you can bring me twenty million eyeballs, like that's the old no, world. No, you're way
0: you're of, you're so indexed on this. It's not okay. like if BuzzFeed gets twenty million eyeballs per article, it's not the same twenty million eyeballs. Like, that's the whole point is the 20 million eyeballs are – 20 million eyeballs who are interested in the specific content in this article. And I'm sorry you saw this Pepsi article about different times per day because I think it's totally clouded your viewpoint on this. Like You're over-indexed on this. Like, the the BuzzFeed articles that I remember, like, there's things like, oh, you know you were a – you know you've grown up in taiwan if x or you know you're a child of the 90s if y like there're things that that actually reach out and they go viral not with everyone they go viral with certain demographics and i mean i don't mm. i feel okay. in general a, a mistake people make in analysis is they they look at everything as a whole they conflate everything and the reality is there's a lot of nuance in all this kind of stuff you can't think about everyone the same those 20 million eyeballs on article a if they're totally different than the 20 minute eyeballs on article B and the and they're much more attuned to the advertiser. Yes, it is daily mail in the sense it's a free thing that's a little salacious and gets a ton of eyeballs, but the fact that you can focus the eyeballs, maybe not perfectly, no, but it's by no it's much more specific than than a tabloid that you pick up on the way to the subway.
1: It's it's more specific is it much so I guess the question then is how much more it's specific? it's more
0: specific and it's a way bigger audience like it, it's it's more attractive in every way I mean and well, the other thing is like tabloids have been around for hundreds of years so it's not like it's a terrible business model
1: uh well historically it hasn't but I'd say there are some fundamental assumptions have changed but okay like yeah maybe maybe right, so, so, so,
0: so, 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 so let's, let's let's say you're right and it's a tabloid business model but right. with a way lower costs, yeah. B, you're right. Way better targeting, and C way more people. I, I think like that's probably worth taking a bet on.
1: Buzzfeed is the tabloid of the internet era. Like that's an interesting way of framing it. Whereas whereas Vice is more like the Vogue or the GQ of the internet era. I th- yeah,
0: and I think and that I think there's no question Buzzfeed would like to move up into that. But I'd say either business are potentially very attractive.
1: Yeah, I, I guess maybe maybe my problem in thinking about this has been that from an advertising perspective, I'm more likely to come at it thinking about advertising and brands that are more likely to, and this is probably just a selection bias, that are more likely to target through Vice or to try and reach me through Vice than I am through BuzzFeed. Like I I find myself very rarely on BuzzFeed as a site, whereas Vice I find myself increasingly there and. Maybe I, maybe like that's just one of those cognitive biases I, I'm using well, it. I, I it's think it's better, like, the, right?
0: well, I think tech in general has a cognitive bias against Facebook. And I think BuzzFeed probably falls into the same boat. Mm. Um, whereas the reality is, I think normal people, <laughs> I, mean, I hate that term, but it's useful. Uh, Are living on Facebook. They're living on Facebook more every month than they were before. And what's all over Facebook? It's BuzzFeed. And oh, by the way, isn't it convenient that uh, Mark Andreessen is on the board of Facebook? I'm sure that's a (laughs) that's a useful bonus for BuzzFeed.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Really interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. This space because like I I well I
0: I do want to ask you. I mean, what do you think about? So I, I I in the article I put a I put a defense of native advertising. Like, I I feel all the angst over it is way overdone and and out of place. Um, But I'm curious what what you think.
1: This kind of, I mean, so my natural inclination is kind of the topic that we picked up on previously where um, we were talking about how all these algorithms are deciding what we see and what we don't. And um, one of the things that concerns me not so much when we're looking at um, listicles but when we get into serious news like the idea that there aren't the um, there aren't the uh, Chinese walls put in place that you you see in uh, traditional media companies um, and that, that 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 evolved over like, many, many years to get to a point. But I think, so the, the media, particularly at the investigative end, uh, plays an important role in society. And I, 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 the native advertising scares me in that I would hate to end up in a, I, I would hate to see us end up in a place where um, companies like Vice and BuzzFeed Don't figure out a way to when they're reporting on things that are important from a societal perspective. They don't figure out a way to insulate the content creation from the advertising. Like that. That's my concern. So Uh,
0: what's what? So does BuzzFeed or Vice, both of which are clearly labeled uh, when it's native advertising, uh, does that bother you more than the fact that Comcast owns NBC?
1: Yeah, good question. Uh, So, first of all, I want to push on this clearly labeled thing because it's not always the case that it's clearly labeled, I feel like. I mean, I think they could potentially do more to call it out. But your question
0: is— What's with this whole paternal kind of like, we need to take care of the idiots on the web? like. I don't know. Like Ooh, I, I feel, I feel, wow. like, I feel like this huh. whole this whole native advertising thing is just reeks of, you know. I I, I put <laughs> I I deleted this tweet, so I, which is probably means I shouldn't say that thing. <laughs> There's this terrible saying. It's like don't. What is it? Don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do. I'm beyond the misogyny and the sexism and all that sort of stuff. Like I, I am. It's a terrible. It's a terrible quote. <laughs> uh, it's something that even church kids probably heard, you know fundamental whatever. Um, But uh, I amended it. I tweeted, how does the the quote go? Don't smoke, drink, or chew or go with girls who do or who read BuzzFeed. Like that's that's honestly I feel like the attitude I get around some of this native advertising stuff. Like people like – I mean like people, one, can figure it out for themselves and two, like the the great thing about the internet is there's so much content out there that if people are like seriously like trying to pull this crap and trying to fool people like i think it's going to get called out and people are going to go elsewhere
1: yeah maybe but you made the point earlier that that like we over index on tech people and there are, most of the people who listen to our show are i imagine reasonably intelligent and and are probably looking to see whether like content is sponsored or not and they see it and they're like okay i'm going to put on my skeptical lens i think to some extent uh, the the quote unquote tabloid of the internet model. Part of the part of what they're offering to advertisers is like you know it's it's like we're going to slide in under the radar a little bit in terms of like whether people know it's an advertisement or not. But even putting that aside, what bothers me more is not so much the sponsored content as it is the notion that the the content the the advertisers. Um, end up having could end up having a disproportionate am, amount of power over content and the content that's really important, like there's there's they, they call it the fourth estate in the Commonwealth countries, the media. It's the thing that that keeps the the government and the judiciary in check. You know, like it, it plays an important role. And what concerns me is that the the feedback mechanism between uh, the feedback mechanism when when business gets to touch stuff like this, you, you wanna be very careful how it does it. Because like if these are the sites that are going to be reporting on things, the, the news that that people need to see to function in a properly informed democracy, you wanna be very careful about the amount of influence business has over this. Now, I saw another tweet um it, it was pushed out uh, it was just in the last couple of days on how um, how it's actually better to be an incumbent now than um, any time in the past it was it was on the 538 blog and the first thing that came to my mind is just how there are increasing ways in which business has an ability to uh, to use um, incumbency, to to uh, cement its position. So, for example, I, I think in the political sphere, it would be through um, campaign donations to get to get things like monopolies or whatever. So, and we talked previously about the money in politics issue. But what I'm worried about is like the media increasingly becoming an avenue through which incumbent organizations can focus that money in order to get outcomes they want, and that that world bothers me. like I don't think that's a good outcome for anybody. And so my concern around this whole sponsored advertising stuff is not so much the the individual articles, it's more the notion that these companies are emerging and I don't have a good sense as to whether they have the same editorial and advertising controls that the old world media companies have.
0: You know what's the best way to ensure uh, a media that's a good check on the powers that be? Tell me, Ben. It actually makes money. Yeah, but how it? Yeah, maybe. And 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 so I mean, honestly, though, like this whole thing is so manufactured. When in reality, a much greater threat to media independence is is what's happened in traditional media, where the vast majority of media is owned by these big conglomerations, uh, which and the, who knows what sort of things going on there. And if our and if what we're going to bitch about is that oh, maybe normal people can't see can't see the. The advertisement, like I'll take that over not knowing why NBC is saying what they're saying or what stories they may or may not have killed. And it's not just NBC, like that's just the most egregious example because Mm -hmm. Comcast is everyone's favorite boogeyman. But there's all kinds of stuff out there. Moreover, again, we're we're dealing with previously. The whole idea of this whole Chinese wall was was actually – it's actually a fairly recent invention. And the mm. whole like objectivity like he said, she said, that's all like the last hundred years. And the reason is – is because previously, like almost all news used to be very partisan and overtly so. It used to all have a point of view. But the but mo- cities would have like multiple newspapers, right? And you wanted to you wanted to come up with something. You would start your own newspaper and you would take a position. And like there's um you know you're 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 an Australian, so let me educate a bit of American history. Like there's a very rich sort <laughs> of <laughs> sort of history about like the broadsheets that rose up, you know, around the Revolutionary War period or during the Civil War, and like. And we're advocating for certain positions um, over the last few years as kind of like what's happened has actually become a monopoly in newspapers in particular because of, uh, one, the cost of just setting up the printing press and the distribution. But two, kind of monopolies in the relationship with advertisers in particular, uh, it's been very much in the political interest of newspapers to have this wall right they can say oh you know we we have this clear separation like don't you know don't don't look don't look at how much money we're pulling in by being the only effective advertising vehicle in the area um whereas now on the internet we have this insane competition you can read anything from everywhere it's super hard to break through um one like th- that monopoly worry is gone but two if people are abusing the attention that they're gaining like I I think you sell the internet short. You sell people short to think that they won't be called out on it, that they I'm won't not, be that they won't be found out. And so that I think that people are way over-indexing on the potential boogeyman out there, and yeah. two, ignoring the boogeyman that actually is there. Yeah. and Three, ignoring the potential upside of this new medium.
1: I think you're talking on average. I mean, I think you made a number of really great points, and including the business model, uh, the business model of the traditional. The traditional companies and and calling out NBC and whatever. But I do think you're like in terms of like selling the potential of the internet, I do think, I mean, I want to go back to something we talked about last week and something that I saw um, when reading about BuzzFeed before we had this conversation. And that is like the world is dividing up into this, uh, into this, into the, the 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 rainforest where you have these giants and then you have a very rich canopy down the bottom now I'm willing to accept that there is more scope for people to put more opinions out there than ever before but I also think that it's become increasingly hard for a majority of opinions to break through than ever before and what of course I'm saying cons- is Right. But so here's the thing, like even when you read about BuzzFeed, one of the things that they say about their articles is, you know, the, the inherent viral viral content of the, the article goes some way to determining whether uh, it successfully uh, goes viral. But there's another element to it, which is um, how much they, they throw advertising dollars at it. And, and so I do think that we Uh, like both from an editorial and content point of view, but also from a reach point of view, like the world we're heading into with, with like this buzzfeed kind of world does favor incumbent companies being even more able to get their point of view to out, out across. And it's, it's, it it concerns me.
0: Okay. That's fine. But that's not that that's a separate, that's like, you're sounding like people criticizing Uber because it, it exacerbates inequality. Like, These are two separate issues. Mm. Like the truth is that native advertising is absolutely the future. It's native advertising TV commercials, native advertising. Radio, like voiceover and jingles, native advertising. Like fancy spreads in magazines, native advertising. Like native advertising is the only advertising that works. And, and every medium has had to go through this awkward transition where they use the old style advertising and it doesn't fi- work and they have to figure it out. And in the internet, it's all about the feed or it's all about like itemized content that's shared on social media. And that f- is inevitably the future of advertising. Mm. And just because some people have a- may abuse it. Th- they've abused it on other channels as well. That's why we have right. the FCC like regulating like false advertising because yes, it can be abused, but that doesn't make it inherently bad.
1: Yeah, I, and I mean, I, I so you're um you you're mischaracterizing my argument just a little bit. I agree with everything you've said, and I guess I know I know we started off this discussion about what do you think about the the sponsored content, and I reacted a little bit to that, but I actually well, that was feel- intentional. Right and uh, yeah and fair enough too and I I, I, I you know like I, I have a little bit of a problem with the way that the native the sponsored content the native advertising is done I do think they could call it out more. My broader concern though is around whether the like the around the Chinese walls around like whether you're we're moving to a like we're moving to a digital world where what we see like who controls what we see. Is is falling into it's becoming, um, it's becoming more and more concentrated, but at the same time becoming more and more opaque. And what I'm concerned is that advertisers' power in that new world is increasing as a result of sites like BuzzFeed and also like Facebook. Like That was my argument previously. That's my concern. Now, to blame it all on BuzzFeed, I agree with you, is the same as to say Uber has a responsibility for inequality. I guess what I'm flagging, as I flagged previously, is that this is something we need to be thinking about um, more than I, I think most people are thinking about.
0: I mean, yeah. I mean, maybe. I think. Uh, I, I I think the the better push is for transparency, and and that's that's what I yeah. appreciate. When I go on Buzzfeed, I can see very clearly who's advertising. Like I said, when I when it comes to lots of other media companies, I have no idea who's pulling the strings. Hmm. And and I think people should be much more concerned about that than native advertising. Like I, you see people. I mean, like someone like Andrew Sullivan, who I respect a lot, and he's you know hmm. gone self sufficient on his blog, just going. Ape shit about native advertising. I think it's just missing the point. Like it's like going crazy about the moth sitting on the boogeyman's shoulder, right? And and the reality is, is one, this is how advertising has always worked. Uh, so it, I, I think it's pretty in- inevitable. Two, uh, like yes, we should be vigilant. I agree with you. Uh, you know, to make sure that it's not abused. But three, like there are much bigger problems that deserve the scorn that people have for native advertising.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it's probably like an easy, it's an, it's an easy straw man to attack that kind of, may, may, that may represent the broader problem. I, I think that's part of, the, like it's very visible. It's a very visible way of, but even the fact that it's visible, even the fact that Andrew Sullivan can tell you who's advertising where, like, I mean, I, I think that's actually a good thing. There is some transparency to it, but you know I think part of the reason people target on this is not because it's the fundamental problem, but because it's like a small symptom. It might be the tip of the iceberg. I think that is that fair i mean
0: i I think that well the other thing that that uh, just to say uh, say it a different way is I think people again they're over indexing on the quote unquote good old days like the whole a lot of the whole Chinese wall thing again was 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 a symptom of an economic model that no longer exists like mm. Newspapers had were the gatekeepers of of audience attention in a given geographic area, and as per, that's what made the Chinese wall possible, but also made it necessary. Like that's no longer like we're in a different situation now. And again, I think to to over index on this to say it has to be exactly the way it was before is to pull is to pull forward. The the, yeah. the old model and actually limit yourself again. It, I, I'm not arguing that I want like I'm not arguing against the exact opposite. Like I don't want people to be. Of course, I don't want people to be tricked and fooled and whatnot. But I I think to say it has to be the way it was before is also wrong. It's like saying yeah. that it's yeah. It's so all the other. It's the same no, thing no no no. I about.
1: I I agree. And and to be yeah. I, I think you make a really good point. And uh, to be fair, I'm not saying. I think we should do it because that's the way we did it in the past. I'm saying, I think we should do it because I don't want Verizon or I'm not going to unfairly pick on a company. I don't want company X to go to BuzzFeed when it eventually moves up market and drop $10 million on their door and say, I want an investigative piece of journalism on this and for people to not know that that happened. That's, That's a future that I don't like. That's something that I'm concerned about. And But the the reality is is like that's, I mean, the Chinese wall was only ever
0: built on trust anyway. Like no one ever, like there's certainly been stories where the publishing side has killed it on the editorial side.
1: Yeah, it's true. And I mean, you do hear about Murdoch (laughs) taking his editors out to dinner and saying, you know what, this is the outcome of the election we want, you know, like make it so. And yeah, so I mean, your point is well made. And I guess what I'm reacting to is like. Uh, Like that really, it, it bothers me not just, and clearly we didn't have it perfect in the past. I'm just, there's something about the nature of the internet and the control of attention and the increased opacity around it and the, the concentration in even fewer and fewer hands by virtue of that. You're you're describing traditional media, but it's, it's increasing, like it's, it's getting worse. I think the internet is exacerbating it. And I, I think we I, need to. No, pay- no.
0: I completely disagree. Like you what it, all that opacity and consolidation is happening in traditional media. The internet is the jungle floor. Like there is but most so people many people
1: aren't in the jungle but floor. It's That's there, my point.
0: But it's there. Like I mean, at the end of the day, like this is the paternalistic thing. We can't no. help it if people are idiots. We can't Sorry, help it. If, uh, we can't we help ta- it if people want to keep their eyes
1: closed. We talked about this previously though, Ben. Like it's not a case of eyes closed. It's a case of um, the people who have the power are now the people. Like in a world of abundance, where there's an infinite amount of content, the people who have the power are the people who decide what you see. And as we move to a world where an increasing, a, a world of increasing abundance, where there are a decreasing number of players who are deciding for an increasing number of people what is seen and what is not, that that scares me like the problems the underlying causal mechanisms of what causes that are getting worse by virtue of the internet they're not getting better i think i don't know i think in this case specifically like
0: when when there were monopolies on entire geographic areas that very much controlled what people saw and what they knew um i and Yes, the, there is this kind of dystopian future of the internet, which is what you just described. But along with that is the fact that there is so much more information to be out there if you look, one. And two, uh, it, like anything, like there's that many more people that can dig and can uncover this stuff. Like they, there's, yes, the trees are more and more dangerous, but there's more and more, like, you know, little shrubs. To, to to make a big deal as well. And yeah. I, I don't know, I think, I, I feel like you're, it's funny that I'm the one saying this, but you're a little overly pessimistic about this. Like, <laughs> and it's good to be aware and to be wary and to, highlight this doesn't happen but to pretend that this is way worse than what's happening now when in reality the vast majority of the US media landscape in particular is controlled by just a few people like is ridiculous like we're in a much better situation when it comes to when it comes to transparency in the media in a
1: lot of ways well uh- uh, maybe I'd say we're better in terms of like people's ability to create. I think we're worse in terms of people's ability to even be aware of there being a problem going on, or at least directionally, that's the case. Yeah. Well, like there was, well, yeah, I mean, like Amazon burying, burying books and, and stuff. And, and, like, and, and, and tons and tons of
0: people know about it. Like I mean, it's not like mm. this is happening, and like, and we find out like five years later. Did you know back in twenty fourteen, Amazon was burying books in their dispute? Yeah, like it's maybe. it's all over everything. And I'm sorry, we don't have time to get to it because I certainly have strong opinions on that as well.
1: Yeah, but I, I mean, you also raised the point. I think it's everywhere in terms of our little bubble. Of, of the people that are also down on Facebook. But I think, in terms of like the vast majority of people, I bet you most people don't know about it. Yeah, like, but I mean, a-
0: it's going on and on. It's getting out there more and more. It's getting on. I mean, like, I mean, it- <laughs> I, I feel you're, you're you're setting up this straw man where only if everything is perfectly disseminated to everyone will you ever even admit that it might be okay'm No,
1: I'm looking at a direction I think there's a trend uh, there's a trend line where an increasing uh, a degree a, degre, a decreasing number of people have an increasing number of power over what gets seen and what doesn't and people aren't even aware of the fact that, that it's happening it's like the conversation we had red pill blue pill like on that episode like I, I th- that's the trend I'm saying. I don't want it to happen. And yeah, I mean, I think know, okay,
0: we're, we're we're repeating ourselves. You just repeat okay. yourself. I'm going to repeat myself and make it fair. Like yes, <laughs> I'll grant you that. At the same time, there are even more people that, or there are many more people than before who actually do know what's going on. Like the reality is, I I I had no idea what was happening with some random company's business practices twenty years ago. Now if I if I care to know, I can know a lot of stuff. And again, it's the Uber sort of thing, like perhaps the answer is to encourage people to be better educated and to know what's happening. It's not to it's not to say, "Oh, just because people are poor, we shouldn't have surge pricing." Like let, let's let's direct let's attack the problem at its root, which is people not knowing what's going on, and that's a function of of human nature.
1: I feel like that's a pretty good place to wrap up. I agree.
0: Oh, I'm glad we can and, and, yeah. and on a positive note.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I agree with everything you've said. I I, yeah, I, I, I hope I'm wrong, and I hope you're right. Well, I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. <laughs> it always is, isn't it? Ah, uh, this
0: is fun. It always is. Um, really good talking to you, mate. Oh, it sounds good. I, I'm going. Uh, I'm, I'm probably going to. I'm going to try to edit this on the plane, so it might not make it up until uh, Thursday at some point. But regardless, uh, we will. We will. I'll talk to you next week.
1: Sounds good. All right, later. So yeah.